This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. There's a lot of Christians, quote-unquote, that are very religious, that really don't care about people. They're involved in religion. They're involved in just something that makes them feel like they are good and righteous. I mean, when I think of that situation with, with the Samaritans, this guy didn't care about people. They cared about, hey, you come and be a part of our group. You don't want to be a part of our group? I don't care about you anymore. Let me ask you this. What is your attitude toward the law? When we look at the early years of John the Apostle, he was known as one of the sons of thunder. He had a severe temper and was very proud. When the Samaritans didn't welcome him, he wanted to call down fire from heaven to torch them. It was John that had the pride and selfishness to ask Christ to allow him to sit at his right hand in the kingdom. Even though John was a son of thunder, Christ transformed him into the apostle of love. Allow Jesus' transforming power to work in you as well. Now, here's Pastor David in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 40, with part one of our character study of John. John the Apostle, we know that uh, one, of the, one of the 12 apostles, he authored one of the four Gospels. Anybody got any idea which one of the four Gospels he authored? Uh, John, that's exactly right. Uh, he also authored three small epistles in the back of your Bible. Anybody got any idea what those epistles are called? First John, second John, third John. And then he wrote a prophetic message. And no, it's not called John the Prophet, it's called the Book of Revelation. All four of these books are attributed to the Apostle John. Prior to being a full-time follower of Jesus Christ, uh, in a a very uh, practical and ministry sense, uh, I believe that every one of us need to be full-time Christian workers. Every one of us, regardless of how you make a living, you are a full-time Christian worker. You are to be a symbol and, 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 and a, a declaration of, of Christ wherever you are. Uh, we are all ministers for the Lord Jesus Christ. The church comes together to equip the believers for what? Works of ministry. So we're all, we all should be full-time ministers of the gospel. However, for, for John to, to leave his job uh, prior to that, he was a fisherman along with his brother James, his father Zebedee. They, they fished on the Sea of Galilee. The, the best understanding that we have is he was, they were probably in some kind of a partnership, a real close friendship with Andrew and his brother Simon Peter. And in order to help us more clearly understand the, the character of who John is, we need to remember that all of his writings, the Gospel, the Epistles, and the Revelation, all of those were written by John the old man, okay? Not John the new guy, not John the the young man, not while he was young in ministry or young in physical life. They they believe that nearly every one of these were written on up in his mature years. The book of Revelation, uh, most people put its writing around 90 to 96 A.D., and we believe that, uh, according to history and tradition, that John actually lived sometime after that, after he was re- he was on exile in the Isle of Patmos when he wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, it's believed that he was released from there, and for a while 
still lived, so we don't know for sure how old he was. But this was quite a while. This was some 60 years after the time of Jesus. And we do believe that John was a very young man at the time that uh, the events of the Gospels were happening, during the ministry of Jesus. How young he was, we don't know for sure, but we do believe that he was probably the youngest of all 12 of the disciples. One of the things we, we first notice about John's writings, particularly in, in the Gospel account, is how, or of his Gospel account, I'm sorry, particularly of his Gospel account, is how he addresses himself. Um, he, most often, he would simply say, and the other disciple, or another disciple. And some would say that this was pretty much a sign of the humility of, of John. But we need to be reminded once again that this is the old John that's writing these events that happened to him probably some 60 years prior to this. We uh, need to look, and I, I think we have pretty sufficient evidence to help us to understand that the young John, the young man, I believe at best, he wasn't humble. And, 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 and I believe at worst, is probably a bit boisterous, a bit proud. And we're going to be looking at those things tonight. What we do know is early on, John did seem to have, though, in the, in the midst of perhaps his, his, his impetuousness, his boisterousness, his, his pride, he did have this spiritual hunger that seemed to drive his life. Uh, the first place we hear of him is as a disciple of who? John the Baptist. So this is the, the beginning. This is a guy that's not just sitting around doing nothing. Man, he's, he's there at the feet of John the Baptist, who's calling the nation to, to repent and to come back. So there, there has to be some kind of a spiritual hunger within John that, again, draws him to John the Baptist. Somebody, if you would, if you've got your Bible, turn to the Gospel of John, if you would. We're going to uh, look at a section in chapter 1. Now, the wording is a little bit uh, um, ambiguous as far as who all is there, but the situation seems to pretty well bring a decisive line that the unnamed disciple in verses, uh, somewhere between verses 29 and 42, and I need to go there because I didn't write my uh, reference down very clear for me. Okay. Up in verse 40, it says, One of the two who heard John the Baptist, and we're speaking of John the Baptist here, one of the two who heard John the Baptist speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Now, the reason I'm saying that the wording is kind of ambiguous is because whoever is writing this leaves out the name of the other disciple. And we kind of, again, through John's writing, it's a pretty good supposition to believe that it was John, our John, the apostle, who was there with Andrew, uh, following John the Baptist. We find this hunger that uh, drove him to follow John, uh, or to cause John to begin following Christ after John the Baptist declared, look, behold, the, the, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And suddenly, these guys start following after Jesus. It's kind of a little, little difficult to piece it all together, but it would seem that this was not the final uh, time that he followed Jesus 
or the time that he actually went into the full-time following of Christ at this point in time. We read uh, in, in elsewhere that, uh, again, they, they came to him, and uh, again, they, that Jesus came to them and called them to a deeper following. Turn to Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus comes by the Sea of Galilee, and now he calls these guys to come follow him. And I believe it's at this point that it comes a, a much deeper following. In Matthew 4, this along with other gospel accounts of, of this event, seem to, to show us that there came a time that Jesus came along the seashore called Simon and, and Peter. They left their nets. They left the business of fishing, followed Jesus. At the same time, Jesus saw the two brothers, James and John. So you have two sets of brothers, Andrew uh, and, and, and Peter, as well as James and John, that Jesus calls and says, Come, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So they left, literally, their, their business and their livelihood at that, time, at that time. Now, at this point, the gospel accounts began to unfold, and we began to see kind of the character of John, who John is, as we read some of the incidences of the disciples and of John's life. Uh, turn, if you would, to Luke chapter Luke chapter nine, Luke chapter nine, beginning in verse forty-six. Now, little situation comes up here that uh, the boys were out wandering around. They saw some other guys baptizing that were not part of the twelve. They weren't part of the group that was with Jesus, and so we have this little uh, conflict happening. And even before we get there, we see the very heart of the disciples in what's going on in their minds before even this other discussion happens. It's interesting, these two events, one that, uh, again, the, the what issue, what personal character is being built when they're having this dispute, the first dispute? What is it that's, uh, that's going on? Pride, thank you. You know, I've been hanging around you guys now for months, and I find out that I'm kind of following Jesus a little bit closer than you are. I guess I'm a little bit greater in the kingdom. You are not. You know, I'm the one that he sat next to at dinner, so apparently I'm the greatest one. Yeah, but you know what? You, you don't know him like I know him. You know, he and I, we had a sweet time last night, just me and Jesus together while the rest of you. And this kind of argument going on and on. Aren't you glad that the church doesn't do that today? <laughs> You're right. I, I, I've been with believers, and, and it seems like... Uh, Every once in a while, you get the one that, you know, it seems like there's almost this one-upmanship about, you know, how, how tight they are with the Lord. And uh, it's kind of like, come on, you know what? You know, uh, the Lord loves each one of us. Some of us, he has to love a little bit more because we're so unlovely. And that's just the reality of it. And so this argument, this dispute's going on, which one of us is greatest in the kingdom? Now, that is the stupidest thing I can imagine. And yet that's what's going on in their lives. And then all of a sudden, uh, this is the situation comes with John coming and says, Hey, we saw somebody casting out demons in your name. Uh, elsewhere, there's a situation that they were baptizing. Uh, so we get, actually had two different conflicts. I think earlier I said uh, the baptizing thing, but here's the one about uh, casting out demons. And so, hey, these guys, are they're not part of our fellowship, and, and they're doing something over here. So what 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 are we going to do? I, uh, you know, we, we told him to stop. And Jesus said, well, why in the world did you do that? Don't forbid him. He's not against us. He's on our side. Look, I think also Mark 
look with me at Mark chapter 9. And in Mark chapter 9, okay, it's the same deal. It's uh, demons over there too. But uh, it, listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 9, beginning in 38. Again, John answered him, and this is our boy, the Apostle John. says, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us, casting out demons in your name. We forbade him because he does not follow us. Because he's not Calvary Chapel, or he's not part of our group, you know, whatever it might be. Jesus said, do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterward speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name... Because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Here's the application I want you to make on this. Compare if you would. Remember, one of the things I told you early on in this study is this study isn't for your mother, not for your daddy, not for your uncle, not for your sister. It's for you. Okay? So let's just bring it home. Compare, first of all, John's attitude with the attitude of Christ. Look at John's attitude of what's going on, and then the attitude of Christ. Now, what I need you to do is to compare your attitude with the attitude of Christ. Do you think that sometimes we can be even proud of who we are? Hey, on Calvary Chapel, we say that we are non-denominational, and we are non-denominational. I've been in a denomination, and I know that we aren't, but... Yet, there sometimes becomes this almost mindset that, hey, if it's not Calvary, it's of no good. Uh, I know guys who are part of Calvary, and that's kind of the way their brains are. And I'm thinking, wow, that's so wrong. That's so wrong. I, I, I love Calvary Chapel. I love what we stand for. I, I love the, the vision, the direction that we go. But you know what? I know that God is doing some great things elsewhere in other fellowships, and I have absolutely no problem with that. That incident, I'm sorry is soon followed by another incident. Go back to the one that we looked at previously there in Luke chapter 9, in Luke 9. And we we looked at verses 49 and, and 50 on the whole deal of they were casting out demons. Jesus said, don't forget it, or, or don't, uh, don't forbid it. And then we read about another situation in verses 51 through uh, 56. Lord, they didn't receive you, so should we just kill them? That's that. Should we call down? Should we call down fire from heaven and consume them? That's what they were saying. They, they, they didn't receive the gospel, so we might as well just kill them. You know what? That that is uh, the mindset of some Middle Eastern religions. Okay, you you convert or we kill you. That is not the mind of Christ. That's not the attitude. That's not the heart of Christ at all. What did Jesus say? He says, the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so what did they do immediately after that? What does it say? They just moved on to another village. You know what? In your life and in my life, you're going to have people that are going to receive the message, and you're going to have people that will just know. Just, I, I don't want to listen to that. You, that may be good for you. It's not good for me. What kind of an attitude do you have with them when they shut you down? When they, when they don't want to hear, I don't want to hear anything you have to say. And I know that some of you deal with family members that way. You want to share the hope of the gospel that's in you. And boy, they just, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to hear that. I think you're nuts or whatever. And what's your attitude about that? 
I would hope that your attitude, I would hope that my attitude would continue to be, Lord, only you can open up that heart. Only you can open up that heart. James and John says, hey, just call fire down out of heaven. Now do you see why I'm saying the disciple whom Jesus loved anyway? A little bit later in Jesus' ministry, near, near, the, near the last couple of weeks of his life, actually, they were on their way to Jerusalem for that final time. The brothers approached, uh, approached him, and Matthew is the one that, that gives us the account over in Matthew chapter 20. James and John, the two brothers, and along with them comes their mother. And I love moms. I, I, I love my mom, and they're, they're great. But you know what? Uh, there are sometimes moms that you can definitely get in the way of what God's doing. But anyway, that's, that's, that's just, in, in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 10, we're not going to turn there, but in Mark's Gospel, it just talks about the, the two boys coming to Jesus, uh, James and John. But here in Matthew, it brings out that mom lives there also. Have any of you uh, heard the phrase, helicopter parents? Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's a new phrase of parents who are in control of their adult children's lives, okay, who are always... Uh, hovering over them, and, oh no, here, let me help you out with that, uh, honey. And sometimes these kids are like in their 30s and 40s, and moms still try to help out, mom and dad sometimes. My, my daughter, real quickly, she works for the uh, Middleton C State University uh, academic advisor, and she says, Dad, you would not believe the number of parents that come in and are still trying to control everything that their children are doing. And their children are supposed to be in college, getting ready to graduate, go out to the work world, and the parents come in making these arguments. And I said, no, I wouldn't believe it, because we, we, I mean it, we see it all the time. Helicopter parents. She comes out and says, uh, now, no, well, before I get into that, well, what was the big debate that they had before? Remember, one of the first debates that we looked at, they were disputing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus responds with, hey, that's, that's what the Gentiles deal with. That's not, that's not how you ought to be living. It's not even how you ought to be thinking at that point in time. Okay. Hey, Mom, would you mind going to ask you to see if we could sit on the right and the left? Or, or even, Mom, uh, again, you want the best for your child. So, honey, don't worry about it. Let me go speak to Jesus. And maybe, you know, with, with a mother's influence, maybe we can get you guys, you know, kind of up there a little bit, get you a raise, get you a better situation in life. Uh, and so she goes up and she begins asking this thing. And Jesus, I believe at that point in time, goes right to the source. I think he turns from mom. It's kind of like, and I can, I can envision all that. Jesus kind of rolls his eyes at mom, looks at the guys, and says, are you guys ready to deal with what you would have to deal with to be able to be in that position? And the guys thought long and hard on it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can do that. They have no clue. They had no clue of that responsibility. And then, not, not only that, we, we read in verses 24 on down that the, the other guys heard about it. And so now they are like all ticked off at, at James and John uh, because John asked the question? No. I, I think they're ticked off at James and John because James and John asked the question first before they got to ask the question. And so they kind of beat them through the punch. And so Jesus, again, goes up, hey guys, it's not the way you're to live. It's not the, it's not the direction this kingdom is going. The application, I want you to make in this, I want you to see. 
Number one, can I believe it's very clear. Can we see pride in these issues? I mean, I was going, you know, all the way back to the casting out of demons and, hey, you know, they're casting out demons. They're not part of us. A little bit of pride going there. A little bit of pride going here. I think we can also see something else. I think we can see some religious zealousness going on. And, uh, again, with absolutely no regard for the lives of others. You think that you can be very religious and really not care about people? Shake your head like this. Because there are many, many that are. There's a lot of Christians, quote-unquote, that are very religious, that really don't care about people. They're involved in religion. They're involved in just something that makes them feel like they are good and, and righteous. I mean, when I think of that situation with, with the Samaritans, this guy didn't care about people. They cared about, hey, you come and be a part of our group. You don't want to be a part of our group? I don't care about you anymore. Let me ask you this. What is your attitude toward the lost? And I'm not talking about dear Aunt Susie who's really sweet, but she just doesn't know the Savior. I'm talking about the desperately, totally, I reject Jesus Christ in my life lost. What is your attitude? I'm going to really jump out here. What's going to be your attitude to the to the homosexual community that, that might go and, and meet at Chick-fil-A on Friday to have a kiss in? What's going to be your attitude? Is it going to be the absolute disgust? I, I know it's really difficult to look at. Or are you going to be able to look and say, man, those guys are so desperately lost. They just need the Savior. They have no clue. And because of that, they're reaching out in every way they can. Not only them, but every lost individual. I, I understand that there are some that just so totally and vehemently reject Christ, and they are destined very shortly to an eternity of, in hell. But you've got to understand, too, that God takes no delight in the death even of the wicked. Beloved, when the Word declares that, that that's the mind and the heart and the attitude of God, then really what kind of mind and attitude of heart should I have? In, in the overall scheme of things, we really need to have that attitude toward the lost, that they need Christ, that they need the Savior. And sometimes it's going to be very inconvenient for me to be in a situation that, that's very uncomfortable, and they're doing and acting in a way that I'm not pleased with, but am I willing to at least have some kind of a contact? You know what? I am going to start preaching. I'm going to leave my notes totally. I don't even know where I'm at now. Uh, it would be so nice, so nice, for us to be able to go and get a thousand acres, build a 20-foot wall around it with the barbed wire, tie it all in. We could have our little Christian radio station. We could have our little Christian theater. We could have our little Christian radio station, or uh, restaurants. We could have our little Christian neighborhoods. Nobody's allowed in. Uh, little Christian schools, everything's, everything's fine and beautiful. We have absolutely no problems with anybody. But you know what? That, number one, that was not God's design. Right. The man right. through the ages has sought to try and do that. I mean, the monasteries, they were that way. Uh, just, uh, humanity in general. Uh, many times we look that way. But you know what? When is a light most effective church? In the darkness. It shines brighter in absolute darkness. It's a little light. I'm going to let it shine. 
And we're all in the same room with our little light shining. It's nice and bright in here, and that's very good and cool. But it's doing absolutely no good for the darkness outside. That's why if we have the mind of Christ, and we're walking in the Lord, strong in the Lord, because we need to be strong. If you're going to be walking in the darkness, you've got to be strong in the Lord. I understand that. So be careful even with what I'm saying. But the fact is, is light needs to shine in darkness. We hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We have services on Saturday evenings and two Sunday morning worship services, as well as other services throughout the week. For more information about service times, including driving directions, log on to TheOpenWord.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now, we want to be sure to tell you how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Simply log on to TheOpenWord.com. Our website has today's message available for you to download. For more information about The Open Word or Calvary Chapel Casa Grande, we encourage you to log on to TheOpenWord.com. Remember, at the website you'll find quite a bit of information about The Open Word and a link to the church website. So log on to TheOpenWord.com today and get to know us better. We wish we had more time today to share more of Pastor David's message, but we've run out of time for today. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.